the Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, let's get some crowd participation, both locations on the count of three. Let's say the title of this series together, one, two, three, the Bible doesn't say that. And here's what we're talking about. We're talking about some phrases or some mottos that have evolved over time that people have considered to be scripture or biblical references or passages from the Bible or even things that they thought Jesus said or, you know, they, they hoped maybe that Jesus said. And so we're tackling over three weeks, three different of these phrases that the Bible doesn't actually say. And we kicked this series off last Sunday with, with probably the most popular of all of these falsities or half-truths, if you will. And we talked about this thought that God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. If you were here last Sunday, I pray that that message really encouraged your heart. And I don't, I don't ask you to do this a lot, but I do want to ask you that if, if, you, if you listen to that message and it spoke to your heart in some way of encouragement, would you be so kind to share that message? Would you share that with somebody? A lot, you know this, but a lot of people are going through some serious stuff. Come on. And so if you could share that message, I think that'd be a great encouragement. And then if you weren't here last Sunday, I would just love if, uh, if you jump back online, you went to the YouTube channel, or you went to Vimeo, you can, you can connect through that, the podcast and all that to the website. So last Sunday, we talked about the idea, God will never give you more than you can handle. Today, though, I'm going to talk to you about this thought, God helps those who help themselves. By a show of hands, how many of you have heard this before? God helps those who help themselves. Well, guess what? The Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> you were right. You got it. That was an easy one, right? The, the Bible does not say that God will help those who help themselves. I want to be real careful here not to get ahead of my, my message uh, and my thinking, but I want to start out and tell you that, that this phrase right here is actually anti-gospel. This is, this is anti-the Bible, and I'm going to try to break all of that down for you over the next 30 minutes. But, but this, this is not what Jesus said. This is not what the Bible says. This, this is nowhere, nowhere in that book of life. Uh, unlike last week, the idea God will never give you more than you can handle, we looked at 1 Corinthians 10, 13 as a, a misunderstanding of Scripture to land on the thought that God will never give you more than you can handle. But there's not even one place in the Bible that's close to this idea that God will help you if you first help yourself. So, so where then does this motto or this phrase come from? Well, a lot of people give its popularity, the credit of its popularity to one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. Many of you know that Benjamin Franklin was one of eight of our founding fathers. And every year he would write a, an, a yearly book or a yearly uh, almanac under, under the name of Poor Richard, if you know your history. And, and in one of his writings of this almanac, Poor Richard's writings in 1733, look what Benjamin Franklin said. And this is just a, a snippet of this almanac. He says, let us hearken to good advice and something may be done for us. And here it is, watch this. God helps them that help themselves. Now here's something you need to know about Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, while he was a believer in God, he was not necessarily a devout Christian. His faith was that of deism. The, the theology of deism is this idea that there is a God 
that created the heavens and the earth and he created humanity. But when, when mankind was made, God then removed himself from mankind and, and he just left us here to figure it all out. So Benjamin Franklin didn't even believe in the idea of a personal relationship, a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't think this is the original, the original location, though, of where this God helps those who help themselves idea came from. I think you have to go all the way back to ancient Greece. So there was a, a very famous ancient Greek storyteller by the name of Aesop. And Aesop would tell stories and fables and poems and one year, Aesop wrote a fable. I want to read to you just a, a portion of it, and it goes like this. A wagoner was once driving a heavy load along a very muddy way. At last, I like this, at last he came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire. And the more that the horses pulled, the deeper sank the wheels. So the wagoner threw down his whip. He knelt down, and he prayed to Hercules, the strong Oh, Hercules, he cried out, help me in this my hour of distress. And Hercules appeared to him and said, Tut, man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. Watch, the gods help them that help themselves. Interesting, isn't it? So over time, we've let this phrase evolve into something we think that the Bible says. But this isn't in your biblical manuscript. Although this idea that God helps those who help themselves is in a religious text, but it's not the Bible, it's the Quran. In the Quran, you can read this, watch. Indeed, Allah will not change the condition of a population until they change what is in themselves. So in the Quran, it teaches that that, that the God of Islam will only help you if you first help you. That God will only change your situation if you first change within yourself. And I said this earlier, but I think it's worth reiterating. This is not the gospel. This is not the Bible. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to save us because watch, we could not save ourselves. Come on, give me a good amen right there. God, God knew that you and I, that, that we would be in a mess, that we would, we would make poor decisions, that, that we would go the wrong way, that there would be foolish moments. And, and at least for my life, and maybe this is just me, but the more that I try to help me, the worse I make things out to be. Come on, is anybody with me like... Like the deeper I get in my pit of decision and despair, and the more I try to claw my way out of it to help JC, the, the deeper I end up getting. This, this, is not, this is not the gospel. This is not the Bible. God, God, listen to me. Somebody needs to hear this. God doesn't want you to clean yourself up and then come to him. God wants you to come to him so that he can clean you up. I was, uh, I was sharing this message with my mom. I try to, I try to preach my sermon to, to, to my wife and to my mom, you know, every week. Not because I need rehearsal, but because they need Jesus. Come on, somebody. And uh, 
JK, just kidding, just kidding. And uh, y'all know who's the spiritual one in my house, let's be honest. And so uh, I was preaching this to Kimberly and then to my mom. And you know, my mom, it, I mean, I think as my kids get older, the more I realize that it don't matter how old they are, they're always gonna be our babies. Come on now. So especially parents of grown children, give me a good amen right there. Like it's always your baby. And so my mom, my mom is always, she's always uh, thoughtful in her consideration whenever I'm, I'm preaching to her and rightfully so. Sometimes there is some much needed critique, always not welcomed, but it's given. And so, but I was sharing this with my mom and my mom said, she said, do you know, do you know who this message is really about? And I said, no, ma'am. She said, she said, you're talking about your grandfather. She said, you're talking about, this is my mom talking. She says, you're talking about my dad. She said, JC, your grandfather, which by the way, I'm, I'm named after, after my mom's dad. JC stands for James Clinton Worley. My, my mom's dad was James Clinton Corley and uh, one letter difference there. But she said that my grandfather for years used the excuse about coming to God because he would always say, when I get things together, then, then I'll come to God. He would say something like this. He would say to my mom, baby girl, when I go to church, you're going to know that I've got it all figured out because I will never be a hypocrite. And so he had this idea that before he could come to God, he first had to clean himself up. Listen to me. You can't save you. You can't rescue you. You can't deliver you. Somebody help me preach. You can't free you. That's why God gave us Jesus. And so even in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, it says that if you put your trust in you, if you, if you lean on your wisdom and your insight and your strength, the Bible says and calls us foolish. Look at this. Solomon, who's known as the wisest man who ever lived, said that those who trust their own insight are foolish. But, but anyone who walks in wisdom is what? Safe. The Apostle Paul, and I could give you dozens of scriptures here, but time won't permit it. The Apostle Paul jumped into this idea too. And this is what he said in Romans chapter number five. He said, when we were utterly helpless, you ever been there? He said, when we were utterly helpless at, at the end of our rope, there was no way of escape. Guess who showed up? Man, Christ Jesus. Come on now. Christ came, and I love this, at just the right time. Can you testify to that? When it feels like there's no hope, when it feels like there's no way, how many of you know that God will always make a way where there seems to be no way? And the Bible says that Christ showed up at the right time and he died for us because we were sinners for the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God, why does he give us a gift? Because you can't help you. Because you can't save you. Because you can't free you. Because you can't deliver you. Now, we're in church, so you're going to know the answer to this right here. But let me show it to you. If we can't help ourselves, then what is our hope? Who is our hope? I mean, if I... Let me, let me say it to you like this. You came to church today, so you probably had a pretty good idea we we're going to talk about Jesus, right? But, but there is a world out there that they wrestle with this concept of the need to help themselves because they don't have the hope, the hope in the one who is greater than their own ability. Look, at the end of the day, our, our hope is in Christ 
and Christ alone. And I, I think about my own life and how God has gotten me out of some stuff. Come on, somebody. Like God, God just made provision and a miracle. God gave me grace when I didn't deserve it. That's the very definition of grace. And, and God, just, God just provided for me. But there's a world out there that doesn't have the knowledge of the hope that we have in Jesus. So what's our hope? Who's our hope? The psalmist David said it like this, that God alone is our refuge. That God is our strength. And I love this, that he's always ready to do what? Yeah, he's always ready to help. Not when you're helping you. No, he's always ready to help whenever you find yourself in trouble. Watch this. Let me say it to you like this because I don't want to lose you because I feel like this is a good message today. The Bible does not say that God helps those who help themselves. The Bible says that God helps those who admit they can't help themselves. Come on, if we're going to clap, let's do it well. This is the gospel. You know, uh, one of the beautiful things about Go Church at both locations, again, is the diversity, the the diversity in ethnicity, the generational diversity, but also I love the religious diversity. We all come from different faith backgrounds. You know, you've heard me say this before, but, but at Go Church, it's kind of like the golden corral of religious upbringings. Some, some of you grew up Presbyterian. Some of you grew up Episcopalian. Some of you grew up Catholic. Some of you grew up Baptist. Some of you grew up non-denominational. Some of you grew up Pentecostal. Come on, somebody got to put a little jig in that one, you know. Some, some of you didn't grow up in church. You might be the safest of all of them, you know. And, and so, so we come in here, we got all of, this, all of this religious kind of history. But when we come into Go Church, we, we notice real quickly that during your, your worship gathering, during the music, there are going to be people that, that they just, they lift their hands in worship. Like they lift their hands in worship. And uh, I don't know if this TV show is still on TV, but years ago it was pretty popular. It was called Cops. Anybody ever seen the show Cops? Anybody ever been on the TV show Cops? <laughs> I see your hand. And, uh, <laughs> you know, in this TV show Cops, whenever the police would surround the house or, or wherever they were, you know, after the individual, they, they, would, they would draw their guns, the lights would be on. It's always like at 3 or 4 a.m. too, you know, and, uh, because sin loves the dark. That's not my message, but it could be. Um, and they always say this, the cops say what? Come out with your, why? Because it's a sign of surrender. When I, when I worship, like I'm not, I'm not worshiping so, so that you can see me lift my hands. No, I'm worshiping with hands lifted because I'm telling God, I can't help me. Like I'm, I'm surrendering my life to you, not my will, but, but your will be done. I'm telling the Lord, I, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. And now I'm coming out with my hands up. I need you, Jesus. I need somebody to help me preach. Come on. I need you to rescue me from me. I've tried, I've tried to help JC and I, I end up a hot mess, but thanks be to God that when I admit I can't help me, man, at the right time, Christ steps in and he makes me a new creation. I think that a message like this falls on the ears of two types of people. A message like this is really easy to receive for the individual or the family that you're going through a lot of stuff. 
Okay, so there is a, a, a bad diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or a termination from the job or it's a season of pain or a season of grief or a lifetime of challenges and trouble. And so here, here's this pastor standing up here saying, look, you can't help yourself and you're surveying you know, your whole life or the season that you're in and you say, you know what, you're right. Like, I can't help me. This is too much for me to handle on my own. You were here last week and you're like, you're right. You know, this idea of God never giving us more than we can handle. No, life is too much to handle, but thanks for the church and for the Holy Spirit. Go back and listen. Okay, so you're here and you think, all right, my life is overwhelming, so I get it. So I'm going to receive this truth that all I have to do is admit that I can't help myself in Christ in a moment. The Bible says that he's just as close as the mention of his name, Jesus, and his presence is there. So we can receive that. But this message also falls on the ears of individuals. And this group, this is going to be a little bit harder for you to process a particular sermon like this or message like this, because in your life, there's been great success. You've accomplished a lot of great things. I mean, you've climbed the corporate ladder. Uh, you kind of just went through school really quickly. At this point in your life, you got more degrees than a thermometer. Come on, somebody. Uh, your investment and your retirement and your 401k and, and your future and all of that just seems to be in a really healthy place. And you're sitting there thinking, well, I've, I've not really committed my life to God and I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job on my own. Now, for you, it's a lot harder to process this reality that, that you can't help yourself because you're looking at your self-sufficiency, you're looking at your independence, you're looking at your own self-reliance, and you're saying, well, I, I've done a pretty good job, but I just want to challenge you with two thoughts if you fall into that group. The first thought is this, look at what all you've been able to accomplish on your own. Now imagine what you could accomplish if you were in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, if, if you've been able through your own power to climb the corporate ladder to the level that you are, imagine when you come into right standing with God and you stop leaning on your own understanding and you start leaning on his wisdom and understanding, God will open up doors of opportunity that no man would ever be able to shut. Can you give me a good amen? But here's the other challenge to the individual that's wrestling with this message. Like, I don't need, I don't need God's help. Uh, there's a proverb again, Proverbs 16, 18, that says this. Pride or arrogance or that independent attitude or that self-sufficient spirit. It always, it always goes before destruction. And that arrogance will always proceed to fall. I, wanna, I know I'm talking to individuals, but I want to make a statement uh, that is not intended to be a political statement, but it needs, to be, it needs to be addressed. If you study history, you look at any great nation and the history of our, of our world, and every great nation that removed God from the center of their government... Every great nation that started to lean on their own power, their own intellect, and their own wisdom really built a foundation that was incredibly weak, and ultimately that nation fell flat. And I want to tell you something, and this isn't like some profound revelation, but it should warrant a good response here. If the United States of America doesn't get back to the necessity of leaning on the things of God, of putting Christ, listen to me, we need Jesus 
back into our counties, back into our schools, back into our courtrooms. We need Christ to come back into our country. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't want this to be political, but the Republican Party needs Jesus. The Democratic Party needs Jesus. We got to get back to leaning on the things of God. Because here's, here, oh man, I don't know if you're like me. I'm captivated by the political scene because it's the greatest reality TV show ever created. Every day I'm like, can you believe they said that? And they, they want me to, and what, what do they promise you? Vote for me and I'll help you. They don't care about you. There is only one who cares about you. And his name is Jesus. And he loved you so much that he died on a cross to prove his love for you. Let me tell you, that, that's my king. That's my political party. It's the kingdom of God. And every great nation that starts to lean on your own power and wisdom and intellect, every, every family that gets away from the things of God and you think, I, I don't need God anymore. Oh, God, be careful because that arrogance, wow. I'm, I'm going to say something and I may regret it later, but, you know, oh, well. <laughs> I see people and families when they're going through just tragedy. Oh, I need God, crying out for God. And then when God provides a way of escape, when he provides provision, back in the old life, back in, God, he is, not, he is not a spiritual cosmic slot machine that you come in and jackpot and then you go back. No, no, no. What God is looking for is a personal, intimate relationship with him. God wants you to lean on him more than you lean on anything else. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of getting off track, so I'm going to bring it all the way back around. Watch this. Whatever, whatever part of the spectrum you fall on with receiving this message, I think that we all need to make our relationship with God a top priority. We, we've, got, we've got to allow Christ to sit on the throne of our heart and we've got to make a decision. Again, whether you're in a season of great pain or in a season of great success, we need to make God a top priority in our lives. And Jesus talked about this. I mean, one of the most famous sermons that have ever been preached is the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, pastors have used scripture uh, for their own messages. Uh, the corporate world has pulled out leadership principles. Even Hollywood has taken parts of the Sermon on the Mount to write movie scripts. People know about the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Mount in the meat of this message. So Jesus is speaking and in the meat of this message, Jesus starts to talk about this very idea that, that why are you trying to help yourselves? Why are you so worried about life? Why, why, do you, why do you wake up every day so anxious and fearful and worrisome? And Jesus, and I'll show you at the end, he says, all you need to do is one thing, just one thing. And when you do this one thing, everything else will work itself out. Let me show you to you. Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse number 25. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, for this reason, I say to you, don't be so worried about your life. Don't, don't be so anxious about about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Don't worry about, about your body and what you're going to put on. Now, there's some of you that eight or nine weeks ago, you made a New Year's resolution and you've broken that, and this is now your favorite verse. You're like, see, 
What's the matter if I eat? I am in shape and round as a shape. Come on, somebody. I love this verse. Give me a chicken quesadilla today and all for the glory of God. He's just talking to people in this culture and he's saying, hey, what are you so worried about? The harvest and the crops. And he goes on, he says this, he says, is life not more important than food? Is, is your body not more important than clothing? Which I'm really glad that you chose clothes today, but <laughs> Jesus says this, he says, come on, look, look at the birds. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth far more than the birds of the air? Is your value not more than a raven or a rooster? He says, and two of you being worried can add a single hour to your life. Here's what happens, and you know this. Worry and anxiety and fear never adds to your life. It always robs from your life. So being worried about all of the uncertainties and how can I figure it all out? Because that's what we do. When we don't make God a top priority in our life, we feel the need to figure it all out, right? So, so worry, worry doesn't add anything to your life. I, I think I have lost quite a few hours from my life because of all the worry and the anxiety, and me just trying to, okay, God, well, you're not answering me on my timeline, so I need to do something about it. Good luck with that. He says this, and, and why, why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They, they don't toil, they, they don't spin, and yet I say, I say to you, the Bible says, that even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself, look at this, like one of these. Watch, it goes on to say, I got a few more verses. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Why do you have such little faith? Jesus says, stop worrying. You're so burdened about all of these things and you're trying to help yourself thinking, well, if I can help myself, God will help me. He says, look, you got little faith. Don't worry about that. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Some of y'all felt conviction because you already asked your family, like, as soon as he shuts up, what are we going to eat? That's why I'm going to preach really long today. What does it matter what you're going to eat? You know, what, what, what are we going to wear? Some of you, and I say this comically, but there's some truth behind it. Some of you spent more time getting dressed for church today than you did being the church all week. What are we going to wear? Man, like... For the Gentiles, I need to move on. I felt tension. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all, he knows everything that you need. And watch this. He says, let me summarize. You're so worried. You're so afraid. You're so frantic. I don't know who I'm talking to, but you have not slept in nights because you're so afraid of, oh, I got, I don't know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jesus says, hey, stop worrying. He says, do one thing, one thing. Watch verse 33. He says, if you'll just seek me first. Come on, let me get some people who are in Christ Jesus. He says, if you'll, if you'll just seek first the kingdom of God, if you'll just seek first my righteousness, says the Lord. He says, watch. Then all of those things, everything else will be added unto it. Now, I, I could stop there, and I probably should, but I think I would fail to give you practical next steps that I think you need to take. I, 
This is, this is just a, a part of my preaching personality that I encourage each Sunday. I want to give you proper next steps. Because at the end of the day, you can't help you. You've tried, you've tried that. Okay? So I'm challenging you. You need to make God a top priority in your life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness and everything else. He's going to take care of all of it. If he loves the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, are you not worth more than those things? He's, he said, if you just put me first, I'm going to take care of you. So how can you practically seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Like how, how can you do this? So you're going to leave here in about six minutes, seven minutes, okay? How then when you walk out of the auditorium that you're seated in, you can say, now this is what my next steps are. Number one is this. You want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You've got to carve out intentional time with God. If you're tired of leaning on your own understanding and you want to start leaning on Jesus, you need to spend time with Jesus. If, if you told me, if we had coffee, let this closing be just that. This is us having coffee together. And you said, Pastor JC, my desire is to seek first the kingdom of God, to seek first the righteousness of God. What do I do? I'm going to tell you, you need to start spending time with God. Daily time with the Lord daily time with the Lord. Because if seeking first the kingdom of God is now your top priority, then your schedule should reflect that. You know what I've started doing? And this is true because I, I, we, we try to prepare my schedule a, a few weeks out in advance with, with meetings and responsibilities and travel and, and all of those things. And so when I look at my calendar on my phone, I recognize that, man, I've, I've got a lot of things going. So I've started putting in my calendar a meeting with God. I, I've set aside time with God because if, here's what I've learned. If the devil can't make me bad, he'll just make me busy. Did you hear that? And he'll just rob me of my desire to have intentional time with God. Uh, look at what the Lord told the children of Israel as they made their exodus. He said, you must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, watch, he says, he is jealous about his relationship with you. Now, this, what the Lord is talking about is the sin of idolatry. And in the, in the, in the Bible, you see all kinds of false idols, uh, uh, golden calves, uh, Asherah poles, wooden poles. King Nebuchadnezzar erected a 90-foot image that 90 feet high, 90 feet wide. Whenever the music would play, everybody have to bow down and worship the golden image. But I think this is a true statement. There are more idols today than there were back then. Yeah, watch. And uh, a pastor, Tim Keller, wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. And this is how he defined an idol. He said, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. An idol is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. An idol is anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. So here it is. Watch. For some of you, your desire for success has become an idol. Well, I'm just trying to help the family. Good. But that can't be your top priority. The, the Lord said, seek him first and then he'll, he'll take care of the family. Um, your cell phone has become an idol. Social media has become an idol. I'm going to say something and you're going to get upset at me. And if you feel conviction, I'm talking directly to you. Your child's sports have become an idol. 
Well, you know, we got travel such and such. Okay, that's great. And little Johnny, that's awesome. But are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Well, you know, he's got to get a scholarship. Well, if you seek the kingdom of God first, then God will make a scholarship available for him. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it backwards. You got to carve out time with the Lord because all of these things that are robbing you of your time with God are becoming idols. Does that make sense? And you are pursuing false idols, counterfeit gods, hoping that they'll give you what only God can give you. And we justify it with, well, it's good intention. Okay. So I'm talking about every day you've got to pray and not just pray when you've got a problem, but pray when you've got praise. Every day you're studying the scripture, you're meditating on the word of God, you're making church attendance a priority because you know that you can't help yourself. So you need the strength of your brothers and sisters, hand in hand, heart to heart, coming together in corporate worship. That's why you're getting into a small group because God never intended for you to do life alone. Are you hearing me? Carve out intentional time with God and be careful of the idols that you've created. Seek first his kingdom. Here's the second thing I want you to do very practical. I want you to make the most of your talents. So you're gifted. Uh, man, some, some of you have abilities and giftings that are just like, what? But you're not making the most of those talents. So if you said to me, I'm seeking the kingdom of God first, we're having coffee, then I would say, so what are you doing with the talents that he gave you? If you're seeking his righteousness first, how are you stewarding the giftings that he put on the inside of you? So if you think that your talents, gifts, and abilities are just so you can make a bunch of money, retire, and die, you've missed the point. God gave you gifts, talents, and abilities not so that you could help you, but so that you could help others, so that you could serve others. That's 1 Peter 4.10. The Bible says each one of you should use whatever gift you have for what? To serve others. And so that you can be a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. I'm not making a volunteer push or plug. But I'm telling you, saved people serve people. Those who are making God a top priority, they're recognizing God gave me special gifts so that I can do something of significance with them. Not just to use it to be all about me, but so that I can serve others. Is this good today? Let me give you one more, one more thought and we're done. So how do I seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Carve out intentional time with God. What if, you, what if I gave you a little challenge? 10, 10, 10 for the next 21 days. 10 minutes of prayer, 10 minutes of Bible reading, 10 minutes of silence. For 21 days, 10, 10, 10. Carve out intentional time with God. You can lump it all together to half an hour, okay? Well, I don't have half an hour. You watch The Bachelor for two hours on Monday night, okay, with Cray Cray Victoria, who needs Jesus, come on now. You got time to do 10, 10, 10 for 21 days, all right? Pray, work, that's good. I just, somebody's like, oh God, yeah, yeah. Jesus says, will you accept this rose? No, I'm sorry, that was cheesy. Carve out intentional time with the Lord, make the most of your talents, saved people, serve people. You're wired uniquely to benefit others. And here's the third one. And when I show you on the TV, the wind is going to be sucked out of both auditoriums at both campuses. You ready? Watch. Now I want you to trust God with your treasure. I've been preaching for 37 minutes, 41 seconds. At this point in this message, you know that this is not a message on money. 
It's not a message on money. I'm not taking up an offering. You hear me say this a lot when we talk about money. I don't want anything from you. I just believe that God has something for you. Okay, you've heard, you've heard me say this as well. I don't care how much money you give to the church. I care how much heart you give to God. Now watch, money, no matter, no matter what you think or feel about it, in our society, money is the number one indicator of what you value. Money is the number one indicator of what you value. The Bible addresses this. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I'm seeking God and his righteousness. So I'm gonna say, well, are you trusting God with your treasure? I'm gonna give you a homework assignment. You already got the 10, 10, 10, here's another one. I, I would love to know if somebody does this, by the way. I want you to uh, pick a spot, any spot, where you don't know anybody, Starbucks, whatever, okay? And I want you to go in there with a folder, and in that folder, I want you to print off your bank statements and your credit card statements. I want you to find somebody that you don't know. They couldn't care less about you, why? Because they don't know you. I want you to sit down and say, I know this feels awkward because I'm a stranger and you don't know me, but I've been given a homework assignment. I want you to look at my bank statement and you tell me what I value the most in my life. You show me what my number one priority is. And they're gonna look and they're gonna say, well, number one, you like this Starbucks a lot. Okay, uh, your mortgage, your investment, your retirement, your kids' tuition, the wedding, the plan for the baby. So we see where all that money is going. Now, here's what's interesting. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, why are you so worried about all that stuff? Jesus said, hey, I know what you're doing and you think it's a good thing. You're trying to diversify all of your funds, okay? He says, but if you'll just put me first, I'll take care of the wedding. I'll take care of the mortgage. I'll take care of the college tuition. Is this making sense to anybody? He says, he says this, he says, all these things that you're worried and anxious about, I'll add to them. But you have to trust me and put me number one in your life. Come on and give Jesus some thanks. I don't want, I don't want money from you. You don't have to give this church a dollar and guess what? We're gonna be here next Sunday. Doors are gonna open, lights gonna be on. Come on somebody. Cause this church is built on Jesus Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But if we were having coffee, I would say to you, you're trying to help yourself with the way you handle your money. And you're so worried about all of these things. If you just seek God first, He'll add all of those anxieties. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. I always try to close with a question. So here it is today and we're done. Does my time, talent, and treasure, do those things prove that God is a top priority in my life? Or, and I could have worded it this way, does my time, talent, and treasure prove that I'm trying to help myself? So, does my time, talent, and treasure prove that God is a top priority in my life? If not, what changes do I need to make? And then I want to encourage you, make those changes. You will never be, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to let you bow your heads, and we'll be done. I need 300 people between our two campuses to give me a good amen after I say it. If you put Jesus Christ number one in your life, it'll be the best decision you've ever made. Come on, right there. Come on. You'll, you'll never be disappointed 
by saying, God, I'm going to seek you first. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Does my time, talent, and treasure prove that God is a top priority in my life? If not, what changes do you need to make? The worship teams are coming at both locations and your campus pastors will follow with some next steps. Hang in there for a few minutes. Don't leave just yet because I want you to really consider this question today before you leave.